and welcome to another episode of the Engaged Podcast. I'm Jamie. And I'm Simon. And today we are doing, obviously, um, our annual Absent Friends episode, obviously, 2020. So, um, yeah, this year, guys, obviously, um, we've got six names this year, haven't we, Si? Yes, uh, they're all Jamie's choices. Yes. Yeah. Um, Well, yes, yes, but obviously, um, I think two of them you recommended that um, from the end of last year yeah that was just okay. kind of no bra- no no brainers yeah it's like you've got to include them it's like um, so we've kind of got a mixture again obviously um, female three female see actors actresses and obviously production and obviously bearing in mind certain obviously anniversaries so I think obviously obviously a couple that have passed away this year a couple last year and I think it's a couple that have passed on the 20th um, 25th anniversary of uh, Star Trek Voyager as well um, so should we start off with our first name yeah yep which is um, I'm just going to go out and say I can't say his surname so I'm just going to call yeah. him Rene throughout because that would take too long I think just my just I think that's one of those surnames that's just, nah, not going to happen for me. So I'm just going to call him Rene, just for simplicity. Otherwise, if I try and do it, I'm going to get it wrong every time. And no, just, no, just <laughs> not going to happen. Not what you want. Not what you want. So obviously our first name will be um, Rene Um So yeah, and we've got uh, two sources here, obviously, Memory Alpha being the usual. And... Um, do you want to explain the other one, side where you got the other one from? Because you gave me a bit of additional information, didn't you? Well, simply, it's his biography from his own website. Yeah. That's so, basically it. Like, well, if you want to know them, go to their main website, and you get a much fuller biography. So yeah, I, I we gave it to Jamie and went here, add this to the list. Yeah, and I was happy with it. And, you know, and, and, and Simon did actually say just before we, we started recording, Memory Alpha's great, but... They do, I think you said they do tend to paraphrase a bit, like some of the more important, per, important like, personal Their personal life, life literally talks about his family and that's about it. Whereas in his biography, you actually get whole, you know, unedited. It's about two pages worth. But you get a full on history of his life and what, where he'd learnt, where he'd moved from, and all that sort of thing. So I just thought it was important that. You want to do it properly, so sometimes you have to add more research to it. And I've added a few bits of um, research to Jamie, and we've added it accordingly because I felt some bits were missing and kind of went, here, Jamie, add this to it. And it it adds to the story because some of it was a bit lacking. We want to give these people the right uh, respect that they should get and their whole lives remembered rather than what is just in Memory Alpha, because Memory Alpha is great up to a point in this case, but not you enough for my picture. liking, yeah. So yeah, you don't I... get the whole picture, so that's, that's cool. Um, so, um, René Murat Aubergine was born on the June 1st, 1940 in New York. Um, he was born into an already, uh, already artistic family, which included his grandfather, a well-known Swiss painter, and his father, uh, Fernand, a writer. Um, the Aubergine-Noir family moved to Paris shortly after World War II and it was there that René made an important career decision at the age of six. Um, 
When his school put on a musical performance for the parents, little Rene was given the honour of conducting his classmates in a rendition of Do You Know the Muffin Man? When the performance was over, Rene took a bow and knowing he was not the real conductor, imagined that he had been acting. He decided there and then that's what he wanted to be. Um, so you don't has... get a memory of her? No. No, no. After leaving um, Paris, the family moved into the artist colony in upstate New York. At an early age, Rene was surrounded by musicians, composers and actors. Among his neighbours were Helen Hayes, Burgess Meredith and John Hausman, who would later become his mentor. Hausman gave Rene his first theatre job at the age of 16 as an apprentice at the theatre in Stratford, Connecticut. Rene would later teach at Juilliard under Hausman. Yeah, so, I mean, even just from that brief kind of brief description there I mean you know he's it was kind of he was from a very young age that was what he's really hugely influenced by wasn't it um, and I think you know I think that happens I think that happens a lot you know if you're, if you're a certain I mean yeah you can choose to go your own way and I think if I think if Rene had decided to was something completely different then I'm, I'm sure his, his family would have been happy with him would have supported him but you find a lot of time they're kind of you know, if that's what your parents do or something like that, then that's, do you know, that, uh, kind of that artistic side of things, you kind of go into something similar, don't you? Well, I think it was in the blood, Jeremy. Yeah. Um, Rene attended. Uh, attended Car- uh, Carnegie Mellon University and studied theatre completely, Lot of learning not only about acting, but also about the um, entire process of producing the play. Uh, after graduating from CMU, he attended various theatre companies, including San Francisco's uh, American Conservatory Theatre and Los Angeles' Mark Tabor Forum. In 1969, he won a role in his first Broadway musical, Coco, with Catherine Hepburn, for which he won a Tony. So, it's actually interesting, I mean, even just these first few paragraphs, I mean, names like Bur- Burgess Meredith, um, if I remember correctly, I believe he was. I have to double check this and look this up because I don't want to get this wrong. But I think he was. He played, and I don't think you've ever seen him, but he played Rocky's coach in the first couple of Rocky films, the first three Rocky films with Sylvester Stallone. So that, so that's where his name kind of crops up and where I actually recognise him from. Just have. Oh, he was also of Mice and Men as well, apparently. He was also in that as well. Which, again, I didn't know that he was in. So, yeah, you know, just... Yeah, okay, he's the right guy, yeah. Um, and even uh, Catherine Hepburn. Um, she's someone i vaguely familiar with because she kind of starred a lot of kind of films that my dad and dad kind of... that They like that kind of era of films. So, yeah, it's quite interesting. Just kind of the people he's kind of interacted with and that kind of influenced him from that early age. Um, In the decades that followed, he would... Rene had acted in a variety of theatre productions, film and television presentations, including rather famous instances Clayton Endicott III on the comedy series Benson and obviously um, Constable Odo on DS9. Um, Even with his full schedule as an actor, Rene still made time for his family and interests outside acting. He and his wife Judith have two children, Tessa and Reme Luke, who are both pursuing careers in the performing arts. Besides acting, he was also Rene was an accomplished gourmet cook, an artist, and a photographer. 
He was also was a vocal supporter of various various charitable organisations such as Doctors Without Borders. He and Judith regularly donated the proceeds from the sale of autographed items to such organisations. So, I mean, there's a lot that he does. Is a lot he's done in his life, and a lot of different kind of varied interests, isn't it? Yeah, you find that with lots of um, Star Trek alumni, don't you? Mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because I think uh, Leonard Moy was kind of similar. I think he had. Um, yeah, he, had he was also interest. a photographer. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, did you want to read the next bit, Si? Irene said of his role as Odo, I had had I uh, I have to have had my share of my excesses, my share of flops, but nothing has ever been like this. DS9 has completely beyond anything I have ever experienced. Um, and it lists a series of things that he's gone on to do, which no doubt we'll go into. I thought it was interesting, going back to the memory of the notes, that he was briefly considered to portray the Doctor in a Voyager. Yeah, that's something I actually didn't know. Um, and actually something I thought, just for me personally, so, so something was really quite cool, in, at least mentioned in uh, the Memory Afternotes, one of the things he's been in, and I must have seen this film dozens and dozens of times, although oh, not been recently. Oh, you told me about this yesterday, didn't you? Yeah. Um, he actually starred in the Batman, the Joel, the Joel uh, Schumacher film Batman Forever with Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey. Um, and the part that he played was right at the end where I never remember the, the character she plays, but Nicole Kidman's character, she goes to see Edward Nigma in Arkham Asylum. And Rene Aubergine-Moir is the doctor that's actually like lead, leading her to, to his cell. So, which I, it's a minor, it's, I think he's in it for like literally less than a minute. But that was just a really cool film. I never knew that he was in that. Just, and again, it kind of, We've said this before in past um, Absent Friends episodes, but it's really fascinating to see and know how much influence that these actors or whoever whoever it is we talked about have have like kind of been a part of our kind of childhood grown up of, of watching of seeing them seeing them in shows that we grew up watching or films or even even stuff that they've produced or something or even or even said as I as I name drops couple of these other actors or actresses that Renee's worked with that I actually at least know or I've seen so and I think it kind of I think it kind of um I think it kind of brings into that cold kind of saying doesn't it like everyone everyone in Hollywood knows each other don't they like everyone's worked with someone at some point haven't they I think um so yeah just um did you want to list a few of the uh, other other things he's been in um do you want to I don't mind. Um, I could do a few, and you could do a few if you like. Um, so after DS9 ended in 1999, um, he kept busy as a guest star on numerous TV shows, including The Practice, Judging Amy, Enterprise, obviously, um, and Fraser. And I actually do remember seeing him in Fraser, because my dad's quite a big fan of that show. Um, and as a regular on ABC's TV series, Boston Legal, as Paul Lewis and colleague and nemesis to Alan Shaw, Jane Spader, um, well, a, a guy, I, an actor I really like from a show, one of my shows that I really like watching, um, and Denny Crane, William Shatner. Um, he continues to take on acting roles in films such as Certain Women and First Cow, both directed by Kelly Reichard. No idea, Mary. 
spring on. And on theatre sta- stages in Los Angeles and New York. So, did you want to read some more of that? He formed his Jericho Crouch in a Broadway production of Sly Fox, which earned him an Outer Circle Critics Award nomination for Best Featured Actor in a Play. And in summer of 2008, he earned rave reviews in the title role of the imaginary invalid at the Shakespeare Theatre in Washington, D.C. Some of his recent TV role guest roles include Bored to Death, Criminal Minds, Grey's Anatomy, The Good Wife, recurring characters of Hugo Miller on Warehouse 13 and Walker Nowak on Madam Secretary. His voice work can be heard on cartoon series such as Looney Tunes, Pound Puppies and Archer in video games such as Fallout New Vegas and he unfortunately passed away from metastatic lung cancer on December 8th, 2019. Yeah, I said it very sad that he passed away of um, of cancer. I don't know if he, did he ever make it public that he was suffering from cancer or not? I can't um, remember if, he ever, if, if they ever did or not. I'm not entirely sure, Jamie. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's done quite a bit of stuff and actually what's not mentioned there but I think actually is in um, the again the memory after notes one of the other things he's done as well um, he actually again minor, uh, minor role but um, he was actually one of the un- in Uncharted games um, which is like a, again it's, it's kind of like Lara Croft but it's just a guy doing it it's, it's very similar but he was in one of those games actually which yeah that's the last, the last credit I read out Fallout New Vegas no, Uncharted. No. Uncharted sound different. Okay. I stand corrected. That's, yeah. That's alright. I think I think it probably wasn't mentioned there because it was only a minor thing. Maybe these are a bit more... Maybe it's just stuff he's more prominent in or something. Um, but yeah, he's, he's done... He's done a lot. He's, he's done a lot of stuff, hasn't he? I mean, this is just kind of... Like, what he's been in. It's just, I think it's probably a bit more brief than, than Memory Alpha, which I know we'll probably go on to in a minute. Um, but he's done such an impressive array of stuff, hasn't he? Yeah, definitely. Um, oh, one thing I found interesting uh, that Memory Alpha mentions about his personal life. Because um, he, he talks about his grandfather. His father um, was a journalist and his mother was Princess Laurie Murat, who was descended from uh, Joachim Murat, one of Napoleon Bonaparte's marshals and one time King of Naples. And husband of Caroline Bonaparte, Napoleon's youngest youngest sister. I mean, how how interesting is that? Yeah. Just, I just read that. I just thought because obviously we, everyone knows. Yeah, we learned about Napoleon in school, didn't we? At some point, I can't remember when away from when it was, but I just thought that was just just so cool. Um, um just trying to think where to read from. Um. Yes, yeah, so um, this is here. Um, this is from Memory Alpha. Aubrey Joan Moore initially disliked DS9 season three premiere, The Search, part one, because um, he felt that, obviously, because obviously about his origins, he felt that Odie's mystery and vitality as a character stemmed from his not knowing where he came from. However, Aubrey Joan Moore soon came to like the development because new twists were added as was learned about Odo's past. So it actually, obviously added complexity to his character. Um, obviously, he was very, very good friends with um, Armin Shimmerman, who played uh, Quark. Um, 
and it says here they acted in the play together prior to DS9 and spent many hours together in makeup chairs. Um, Is there anything in particular what to talk about with some of these notes? So I know some of these notes or anything? Not particularly. Um, just trying to think if there's anything here. Because I think, I think the, what, the, the sheet you gave me covered his, covered his stuff quite well, didn't it? Um, well, there's lots that we can talk about, Joe. There's lots of... plenty of pages. Uh, I'm just trying to think where to start. Um... We'll start with a bit about his about his Broadway career. So he first performed on the Broadway stage in the late sixties, um, beginning with a revival of William Shakespeare's King Lear, um, and a play called A Cry of Players. The, both productions ran for from November sixty eight to February sixty nine, with a total of seventy two performances each. Wow. Um, in, seven, in 1970, he won a Tony Award at Best... Oh, I think I've already mentioned that. So for his portrayal of Sebastian Bay and Coco. Um, yeah. uh, also starred in Twelfth Night. Yeah. Um, 73, played in Musical Tricks. 79, Break a Leg. Um, where he received a second Tony nomination... Uh, for his role in The Good Doctor. And third nomination in 1985 for playing a Duke in Big River. He also won a Drama Desk Award as Outstanding Featured Actor in a Musical for Big River. Uh, uh, he performed in Big River from its premiere on 25th of April 1985 until uh, September 2nd of that year. Um, when his role was recut when his role as the Duke was recast um, by um, by eighth of October. It was recast by Brent Spiner, which is really quite interesting. Really, um, he received another Tony Award nomination as Drama Desk nomination for his dual role in the music, musical comedy of Angels, like, comedy which is called City of Angels, just to say, which ran from 1989 to. 1992 um, and he recently starred on Broadway in Dance of the Vampires um, which was from 2002 to uh, 2003 and Sly Fox in 2004 so yeah busy boy very very busy um, um, so in Boston Legal he appeared obviously with William Shatner um, he was in it for the first three seasons as a regular, um, and then he would. And it was announced in June 20, 2007, he would no longer be a regular um, in the fourth season. Um, his character was replaced in season four by Carl Sack, played by um, uh, the actor John Larroquette, who was actually in Star Trek Three: Search for Spock. Um, the, uh, Armin Schumann had a reoccurring role in the series Schumann played a judge who was an acquaintance of Albert John Moore's character and is suspected of being involved in the murder of Schumann's wife although the two did not act together during the first three of Schumann's seven episodes they finally shared a scene together in the fourth episode entitled Desperately Seeking Shirley um, also uh, 
Ethan Phillips, who has also appeared on Boston Eagle during this time, playing the father of the boy accused of killing Shimmerman's wife. Uh, I mean, there's a load here we could list. Um, there's loads here we could probably list of the stuff he's been in, but I think we'll be here for a very long time, wouldn't we, Si? Um, uh, I mean, he's been in so many different things. Well, um, there's quite famous stuff in there. There's the Mod Squad in 1971 um Star, Starsky and Hutch yeah I saw that one um Heart to Heart Charlie's Angels um he also appeared Clumbo. yeah um the Wild Wild West Revisited there's lots of things um he also appeared in two episodes of Murder She Wrote um, well, everyone's a bit in Modesty, right? Yeah, actually, but yeah, I, oddly enough, I think it was might have been a year or so back. I think Robert Duncan McNeil was in an episode of that as well. Um, well, everyone's been in Midsummer Murders over here. Everyone's been in Modesty, right? And everyone's <laughs> probably been in Quantum Leap. It's a sort of mainstay of Hollywood, isn't it? It's that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he appeared in an episode of LA Law along his son, Remy. Oh, um, oh, oh, that's cool. I didn't see that, but I did notice. I, I now see that little bit, but I didn't. I didn't see that bit. So good for pointing that out. They have to limits. Um, uh, beyond Westworld, there's loads of things. He's done a lot of stuff in his career. Um, um, well, movie-wise, he's done. Um, should we move on to kind of the film? Oh, film, oh actually, let's have a look and see what else he's got. Uh, mentioned about that. Uh, should we talk about some of the films he's done as well? Some of the films he's been in? Yeah. Um, so, um, early in his film career, Aubrey Jean Noir, along with his Star Trek. Oh, God. Flipping. Is it six? VI? Yeah. Oh, thank God I got that right. <laughs> Star Trek 6. Oh, yeah, of course, because of course, Renee Obadjoa was in Star Trek 6. Um, John Skuck and TOS guest star Sally Kellerman was a member of an informal acting troupe spearheaded by director Robert Altman. Uh, one of Obadjoa's earliest film roles was in the 1970 original film MASH. Um. um he also had a role in the 1975 disaster movie The Hindenburg. Uh, this is directed by Robert Wise, who also went on to direct Star Trek The Motion Picture. His other credits include King Kong in 1976, Police Academy 5 in 1988, My Best Friend is a Vampire in 1987 with opposite David Warner, um, The Player with um, Sally, Sally Kellerman, Terry Gard, Dean Stockwell, Whoopi Goldberg, Malcolm McDowell. Again, some of the said a few of these have also been in Star Trek. The Ballad of Little Joe, as I mentioned earlier, Batman Forever. Uh, Snide and Prejudice in '97 with Jeffrey Coombs. You've missed Inspector Gadget. I, I, I was about to say Inspector Gadget. You really, so you really have got to stop doing that. <laughs> I was about to say Inspector Gadget, but thank you. Um, Inspector Gadget, oh my god, Inspector 
Again, that's something I grew up watching as well. Did you watch Inspector Gadget when you were younger? Yeah, I'm pretty certain I saw it. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, um, he then played uh, Reverend Oliver in the 2000 American Revolution epic The Patriot. Um, he had a role in the film Eulogy in 2004, which starred TNG guest actress Famika Johnson. Uh, oh, my Lord. Um, he appeared in the... Uh, 2015 film This Is Happening uh, among his final projects were Cortex Windows on the World with Edward James Olmos and a role as President James Buchanan in Raising Buchanan in 2019 he appeared in The Circuit directed and written by Tim Russ featuring 10 different but interconnected sci-fi stories uh, which obviously had a whole host of um, Star Trek stars didn't it yeah um did you wanna did you wanna did you wanna read the next pick about his voiceover work? Or did you want me to read that? Um do you wanna do that? Yeah, I can do that, yeah. Um so obviously he came very worse in voice acting as well. Star Blazers. Yep. Um he was in additional voices in the Fonz and the Happy Days gang. Um so, during the 80s and 90s, he provided voices for many TV shows, including the new Scooby-Doo Mysteries, Super Friends, a legendary superpower show, um, DuckTales, Galactic, Galactic, huh? DuckTales, yeah, um, Superman, the, all the Smurfs, oh my god, um, Batman the Animated Series, um, Mighty Max with Kate Mulgrew, Aladdin, Extreme Ghostbusters and Men in Black the series with uh, Jennifer Lynn and Charles Napier um, in 1986 he lent his voice to an series called Wildfire which revolved around a horse his DS9 co-star Nana Visitor starred on a live action TV series called Wildfire in 2005 also about a horse which I thought was a really interesting coincidence um he provided work through the 2000s, such as Legend of Tarzan, The Mummy, Justice League, um, Avatar, Last Airbender. He reprised his role from Legend of Tarzan for the 2002 director video movie Tarzan and Jane. Um, he did three episodes of Archer, as mentioned, um, and two episodes of Avengers Assemble. He's done, he's done an incredible amount here, isn't he? Yes. Uh, yeah, there are a few others as well. Um, did you want me to say? Or, uh, oh, Little Mermaid, 1989, he did that as well. Again, another childhood film that I'm sure we both grew up with. Again, didn't even realise he did that as well. Um, yeah, there's just so many that he's done. It's really just his incredible um, um, did you want me to list a few more things Cy si, or uh, in 2014 you voiced a role in Planes Fire and Rescue um, as well another odd random bits in Little Mermaid he played the French chef Louis in case you're wondering oh blimey oh, do you know I've not watched that film in absolutely Look, years it says it in the notes but you know 
I, I'm, I'm in trying to remember the part he played. I, it's been so long. Um, um, Princess Diaries as well. Oh, it was in that as well, was it? Yeah, he's just done a lot. Uncredited um, voice role. Oh, okay. Um, he's also done directing. So prior to eight DS9 episodes he directed, he also directed two episodes of Marblehead Manor in 1987-98. Um, did you want to list the DS9 episodes he directed? What, you want me to? If you want to, yeah, if you don't mind. Uh, oh yes, Profit Motive, Family Business, Hypocritical Oath, The Quickening, Let He Who's Without Sin, Fringy Love Songs, Waltz and Strange Bedfellows. So, an impressive array of, of stuff he's directed, and most episodes I think, we, I think, we, I think we're pretty good. Um, I mean, yeah, there's a lot here. I mean, there is some bits we've said he's done. They, that we've, that's remained unsaid, but there's just so much he would be here forever. But he's also but, done um, video games as well. Yes. Um, it's a couple of interests to me, because um, I'm a huge Command & Conquer fan, and he was in Command & Conquer Renegade, probably not one of the better ones, but he was in that. Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. Uh, as you said, two games of the Uncharted franchise, Ben 10 Omniverse 2, Skylander Supercharge, Chargers, Fallout New Vegas, um, is that Mr. House as well? Uh, oh, uh, uh, he also lent his voice as such a parody, he portrayed an animated version of Odo in Stewie Griffin, The Untold Story, a director of DVD movie based on the hit animated Fox series. Uh, created by Seth MacFarlane, where he supplied the voice of Odo in a scene which parodied DS9. But yeah, it's just. We haven't really done it justice, but there's so much in there that. Yeah. We could say, but you'll you'll know him from something otherwise than Star Trek. Yeah. Rest assured like, I said, like I said, he's influenced a lot, whether it's. He's worked with people that, I, that I've seen in something or at least know of, or again, he's had the influence on, on what stuff as I've grown up. So it's really quite amazing just the amount of stuff that he's done and the different, you know, very, very, very versatile, very multi, very multifaceted uh, person. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, if you want to know more guys, and yeah, do check out, I said, uh, Memory Alpha and obviously the, the, um, his own personal page as well. His biography, um, but yeah, just just a, a lovely bloke who just had an incredible life, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, should we? Is there anything else you want to say about Rene? No. Right. Um, should we move on to our next uh, next person? DC Fontana, or otherwise known as Dorothy Catherine Fontana, who was born on twenty fifth of March nineteen thirty nine and died on the second of December two thousand nineteen. Obviously, at the age of 80, um, I don't think we said the age of Rene. Rene was 80 as well. Um, she obviously was a writer and script editor who had, had distinction of being one of the few people to have worked on original series, animated series, Next Gen, Deep Space Nine. Um, DS9 was her favourite. She especially liked the show's strong characters when writing. Uh, Fontana often used pseudonyms including Michael Richards and J. Michael Bingham. Um, yeah, she um, she worked as a writer for a few TV shows before Star Trek, 
then briefly worked as Jean Roddenberry's secretary before becoming a writer of the show. Um, the first episode she penned was Charlie X, actually, um, which Roddenberry titled The Day Charlie Became God. Um, she also wrote several, I mean, as, I mean, as a, we'll probably refer to that more, but there's actually a list of all the episodes she's written, isn't she? Yeah. So, um, should we go through, should we, should we read through some of these, what she's written? Uh, maybe later. Cool. Um, so, at the age of 27, um, she became the youngest story editor in Hollywood at that time, and also one of the few female staff writers. Um, she remained in this capacity until the end of season two, TOS. Um, she left the ed- uh, position before season three. She said, I told G- Jean that I did not wish to continue on Star Trek as story editor because I wanted to freelance and write for other series. However, I did want to continue to do scripts for Star Trek. Um, Jean was agreeable to this and I was given a contract in February of 68 which called for a guarantee of three scripts with an option for three more. Um, however, Fontana was very unhappy with the rewrites done on her first season scripts including the Enterprise incident and the Way to Eden. Um, originally submitted as Joanna by Fonta- Fontana featuring Dr. McCoy's daughter. Um, yeah, I think I think that kind of is a, is a kind of testament to kind of the problems that plagued the production of Star Trek during that time, didn't it? Season three. I thought it was interesting that she introduced Jim Rottenbury to the costume designer William Ware thesis. Mm. As well, I thought that was interesting that she was the one that brought the like costuming to the table, which became kind of famous in its own own regard. I think it would have been interesting as well to to uh, maybe they're available online. I don't know, but what her original, what her what 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 the unaltered version of her third season scripts, Enterprise the incident, and particularly the way to Eden, because um, I think I think we'd said months ago that if they'd stuck with it, with what she had written, it probably. I mean, not to not to hate on season three or try and be, but I think it probably would have turned out better. Probably. Hard to say, Jeremy. True, but um, so um, during her years on TOS, she was an active con- contributor to the official endorsed fanzine Inside Star Trek, for which she conducted interviews with several key production staffers. Uh, most notably the one with Fist, the only one published on record. Uh, four years after TOS ended, she became the associate producer and story editor of TAS, uh, for which she wrote the episode yesteryear. Um, That's one of the most famous from that series, from that show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know we'll go into it in a minute, but even briefly looking at the list of episodes of Star Trek that she did, I mean, most of them, most of them, pretty good ones I mean most of them some of them, I mean, some of them are classics she 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 knew how, I mean she was a terrific writer she knew how to write good Star Trek good science fiction definitely. well let's say she, in 1998 she, she got a Hugo Award nomination in the category of best dramatic presentation for Encounter at Farpoint she had with mm. Gene Rusbury and Corey Allen so that really speaks to it doesn't it yeah definitely um so in early October 1986, um, 
two decades after leaving the original Star Trek, she Fontana together with her TOS series co-workers, David Gerald, Edward K. Milkis and Robert Justman were brought back by Roddenberry to obviously form TOS. Um, she served as associate producer in the first 13 episodes of season one. Um, and what was... TNG? Oh, sorry, yeah, TNG, sorry, sorry, yeah, TNG, thank you, sorry. Um, she served as associate producer on the first 13 episodes of TNG season one. Um, she was mainly responsible for being story editor and consultant, as you say. About, you said about the the, the award for the pilot um, and wrote four ep- episodes of the season before departing um, due to meddlings of Roddenberry's lawyer Leonard Maislish Ma- 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 is it pronounced right um, um, yeah it's, that's a bit convoluted and yeah uh, you have to mention that. Do you want to mention that or? No, I don't really want to. No, okay. Um, they they left on very um, awkward terms, let's say. Yeah, we'll go with that. Um, should we mention? I thought, we can I also say on. she co-invented the Elcar's concept? Oh yes, she did. Yes. Which is kind of which Mike Akuda and Denise Akuda went on and developed, but I like the thought that she kind of helped it and there's a lot of things that she introduced that you don't realise just how much of repercussions they had Um, should we talk about then about her list of Star Trek credits as a writer I think we should do that then Jeremy oh yeah that's a good idea yeah we'll do it at the end good idea Um, right so she later returned and penned the first series episode of Deep Space Nine Dax. Um, and then in Deep Space Nine, Far Beyond the Stars, the character of Kay Eaton, who had to pose as a male to get her science fiction stories published, was in homage to Fontana. Um, the Enterprise episode First Flight also honoured her work on the episode Tomorrow's Yesterday by including her name. Along with that episode of that episode's director Michael O. How do you pronounce that, Jeremy? So where are you reading from? The bit about first flight. Um, Michael O. Healy on a mission pack for the Earth Saturn probe. Uh, a copy of which was sent to Fontana oh, yeah. by Michael Cuda. Um, that surname. She she also. Which surname's that? Michael, oh, Michael. Oh, uh, something. Hurley he. Hurley he. We can go with that. If it's wrong, I'll apologise. But some of these names are very hard to pronounce. Um, let's see, during the 70s and 80s, she worked on Logan's Run, The Mix, Six Million Dollar Man, and Buck Rogers. I love the fact that um, in an interview with Star Trek magazine, she was talking about how unhappy she was with. Um, Rottenbury rewrote the episodes they wrote together. She used the pseudonym J. Michael Bingham for the Lake and Hour. She was especially unhappy with the episodes. She liked writing Dax much more. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Is that okay? Probably because she probably. Maybe she had a bit more free reign, I suppose. And... It's, not the I greatest, mean, yeah. it's not the greatest plot. When you can kind of compare the two, I think there's a lot more depth to Dax than there ever is to Naked Yeah. Man. 
I mean, don't get me wrong, the Naked Now's a fun episode, but it's, yeah, yeah. Um, this Dax was said very, very. That's the only one she wrote for DS9, wasn't it? I believe um, so. Yeah, it's it, it, a very good one. Very good. Uh, one of the very good first season one episodes, actually. Um, uh, You're talking about her, her other work, I believe. Yeah, it's rudely interrupted. That's all right. It's fine. Um, oh, um, in a 1974 episode scripted for six million dollars and the rescue of Atlanta One, Athena One. Uh, Fontana pays homage to Star Trek by having Lee Major's character of Colonel Steve Austin speak the line space. It really is the final frontier, isn't it? Um, in 70, she also wrote in that same year the novelisation of Roddenberry's TV part The Quest of Tapes, and she served as story editor for the, in 1977 for the 14 episode TV series version of Logan's Run, which features scripts written by a number of TOS alumni, including Harley, Harlan Ellison and John Meredith Lucas. She also co-wrote several episodes herself. Um, oh, this bit's very interesting. The series featured a character named Rem, a sentient, very human-like android. The character was not in the original film or novel, but it bore a strong resemblance to Roddenberry's earlier Questa character, and elements of Rem were later incorporated into the character of Data in TNG. Um, I'll let you read the next bit, because like, I know you really want to mention my ultimate Star Trek game, because I, I love um, Star Trek Online, but my absolute favourite game forever, and I was surprised when I read this, Fontana wrote the stories of the video games Star Trek Bridge Commander, which if you haven't played that, go and give that a play. hasn't particularly aged well with the graphics and everything, but the story is brilliant, and you can tell because it's DC Fontana, so it can be anything... Yeah, it still stands up, doesn't it? And it's set during the Dominion War, so it's got everything going on for it. Uh, Star Trek Legacy, which I never kind of got into. Uh, Star Trek Tactical Assault, all with Derek Chester. An episode of the fan production, Star Trek New Voyages, the episode to serve all my days in 2006. Um, where she worked alongside a couple of other guys who I've never heard of. Um... Now we can go on and talk about everything she's done, because there's an awful lot of things. and Yeah. Um... Actually, this might work into memory beta, which is something we never use. Fontana's first known novel to date is Vulcan's Glory, which was published in 1989. Um, in 1999, she wrote the story for the video game Secret of Vulcan Fury, which was uh, unreleased. Yeah, I've done, oh yes, I've said that, but... Um, she wrote Bridge Commander all the other games for Activision and later Tomb War for Bethesda uh, Softworks. And it sounded like they were going to republish or finally release uh, Secrets of Vulcan Fury. Did they ever do it in the end? Um, no, I don't... I don't know you asked me. I don't think so, but I'm not 100% sure. Well, hopefully it has, or if it, if it hasn't, that's kind of a shame, but... Um, so, yeah, so the episodes that she has done um, <laughs> includes Charlie X, Tomorrow is Yesterday, This Side of Paradise. I mean, This Side of Paradise, I mean, that's a, that's a clever one, because you know, it's Spock, Spock in love, and it's just like, how can you make Spock act out of character? 
and the way they worked around the way she worked around that I thought was just brilliant um, Friday's Child Journey to Babel by any other name The Ultimate Computer The Enterprise Incident That Which Survives The Way to Eden so that's just her TOS um, obviously Yesteryear in the animated series did you want to say some of the, some of the other ones Si? In Castor at Five Point, where she got nominated for that award. Mm-hmm. Naked Now, Lonely Among Us, Too Short the Season, Heart of Glory, all obviously first se- uh, first season. Vulcan's Glory. So, might have... Dax, Bridge Commander, yep. Tactical Assault, Star Trek Legacy, and then she did... The Enterprise Experiment, which is a comic as well. Three parts, yep. Um, I've got five. There's five on memory oh, part, beta. Part, five parts, yeah, five parts, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, a really impressive amount of stuff that she's done for Star Trek. And like I said, being like the youngest and the first woman kind of writer in that, in that and at the time and just... I think like, she's pulled up one of the only female writers to actually write across all the series, isn't she, pretty much? Um, I just, like, most of these episodes are, well, yeah, there's a few in here that we work, we're not as keen on, but most of them are at least watchable, or most of them are really good, aren't they? Most of the stuff that we've seen, just some of the, some of the best episodes, I mean, like Hearts of Glory, I mean, that was a, that was a great first episode. Episode for season one. That was um, just yeah, just incredible amount of stuff that she's done over the years. Um, it's a shame that she never wrote more books, though. But um, maybe she just didn't have the time, or she just never got around to it. But but it's called what the Vulcan's Glory, is it? I think so. I might have to see if I can get hold of that. Then might be interesting to read that. Um, should we talk a bit a little bit about her life because we haven't really gone into her life so much so far have we no um so born in sussex new jersey fontana was raised in totowa graduating from uh Passaic valley regional high school in 1957 uh, she decided at the age of 11 that she wanted to become a novelist during her youth she wrote horror stories featuring herself and her friends um, she attended Fer- Fairleigh Dickinson University, where she graduated with a with an associate degree as an executive secretarial major. After she graduated from college, she went to, uh, to New York, where she got a job working at Screen Gems as a junior secretary to the president of the studio. Um, shortly after his passing, she returned to her home state briefly, then moved to L.A. Um... She gained employment in the typing pool at Review Studios, working as secretary to Samuel A. Peoples. Is that Peoples? Is that right? I believe so. During his time in the Western TV series Overland Trail. Um, Just to read here. Um... Do you want to continue reading a bit more, Si? Um, no, you carry on. Yeah. Um, so, 
So as you continue to work with peoples on the Western TV series Frontier Circus. Um, she stayed, obviously, people moved on from the company, but eventually she stayed and returned to the typing pool. Um, she obviously, she saw a position on a Marine Corps, Corps based series called Lieutenant Applied. Um, she began working as a secretary for producer Dale Resman. Around this time, she adopted a gender-blind pen named DC Fontana for her writing to prevent her pictures being prejudged on the basis of her gender, as she was one of the few female writers at NBC at that time. Very, very, very prudent idea, I'd say. Definitely. Um, um, the lieutenant was created mostly by Gene, who she ended up working directly for after his, after his original Um so look at some of this obviously we've kind of already covered um yeah the, the charlie x episode roddenberry took the story credit and only she only took the teleplay credit for herself um she also wrote tomorrow's yesterday from her own idea tomorrow's yesterday isn't that the uh they go back to the 60s don't they is um, that one? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, oh, I absolutely love that one. I really need to go back to the original series. I really, really do. Um, um, by the middle of the first season, Steve Carabatos, Batsos, the story editor, had left production and his second editor was back, going to leave. So, Roddenberry gave Fontana the task of rewriting the episode This Side of Paradise. Uh, they were satisfied with her work as she became the new story editor in, uh, alongside her work as a secretary a Rodney secretary did you want to read some side a bit yourself or I'm good it seems we do alright okay I won't read everything because we'll be here forever otherwise um uh, okay, so we'll go. We'll go on to becoming a producer. We'll read a little bit from that, and then um, I think we'll move on to the next person. Um, during the seventies, uh, um, I've already said about. It. She's associate. She's associate producer on animated series. Uh, after the project ended, she became the story editor on the Fantastic Journey, nineteen seventy-seven. She also wrote scripts with her brother for the Waltons and under her own name again for the streets of San Francisco. Um, she also did a. Um, it looks like she wrote an episode for the very, the very, the, the original Battlestar Galactica as well. Um, she was reportedly though so dissatisfied with revisions, with revisions made to her script for Gun on Ice Planet Zero that she used a pseudonym. The story spread, resulting in other well-known sci-fi writers refusing to work on the show. Um, said we said about her Star Trek. Um, oh, this this bit I found. Um, uh, I thought this was interesting. Um, she had written a story that would have brought Nimoy onto the show's spot, but it was ultimately rejected. Um, I don't need to say 
that. Uh, da, da, da. Um, yeah, so Pockets editor Steve David Stern approached Fontana to write a Star Trek novel, and she proposed writing the story of Spock's first mission on the Enterprise, joining a crew led by Captain Christopher Pike, which is obviously Vulcan's glory. Um, she also wrote the episode The War Prayer for the first season of Babylon 5. Um, yeah, it look, does look like Vulcan's Glory is published. Oh, it has published, is it? February 89, I thought that's what. Yeah, so. Oh, okay. Novel focuses on a young Spock, a conflicted ensign serving on the Starship Enterprise under uh, Captain Pike. Spock is having diff- a difficult time dealing with his Vulcan heritage and how it conflicts with his duties as an officer and what he wants personally. Spock soon becomes involved in a mission to revive Vulcan's glory of Price's gem, long, lost, long thought lost in a spaceship crash. It is soon discovered that there is far more to the mission than readily apparent. Nov focuses on the crew of the Enterprise from the period featured in the pilot. The cage, younger Montgomery Spot also appears. Okay, I might have to try and check that out then if I can. Because it sounds like it'll be a good read. Um, after joining um, the Writers Guild of America in 1960, she served on the ball between 1988 and 1990, between 1991 and 1993. She was awarded the Morgan Cox Award for Services to the Guild in 2002 and inducted into the American Screenwriting Association Hall of Fame twice in 1997 and 2002. Um, she was married to cinematographer Dennis Skotak and died in. Um, December 2nd, 2019. It doesn't actually say why, it just says following a short illness. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, like, like Brunel Bajone Moir, she's done a lot, she's done a lot in her life, life and lived to a, lived to a good old age. Um, is there anything more you wanted to say on DC, sorry, Dorothy Fontana? No. Should we move on to our next person? Yeah. This is where we go into the Voyager kind of portion, isn't it? Yeah. Do you want to start us off with the next person? Oh, do you want me to start off or do you want to start off? Oh, I can. Um, yeah, go for we're it. now going on to Richard Hurd, so Admiral Paris, who was born on 26th of September 1932 and, and passed away on 26th of May 2020 at the age of 87 um, of another cancer related causes at home in LA um, veteran film and television actor known as uh, Admiral Paris and he was in uh, where he appeared in Pathfinder, Inside Man Ulfa Ulfa and Endgame but he also appeared in Lacour in Birthrights Parts 1 and 2 in Star Trek Next Generation Heard is perhaps best known for his role as, super, uh, as the visitor Supreme Commander John in the miniseries V from 1983 and V the Final Battle from the uh, later the year later. Um, he also appeared in um, the police drama T.J. Hooker against Will Sh- William Shatner. Um, he was also Admiral Noyce on Z-Quest DSV and was also in Seinfeld as a recurring role. Um, at one point, Heard was also the third national vice president of the Screen Actors Guild and was a member of the Enterprise Blues Band. 
a musical group that writes and forms songs about Star Trek with other um, Star Trek alumni where he played the gut box for bass a kazoo and sang some of the backup vocals yeah cause we've seen we've seen the Enterprise Blues band haven't we yeah I'm not sure if he was there or not I'm not quite sure to be honest. I don't think so, but I can't don't be hundred percent sure. Mm. Why don't you read about his A life and career, Jamie? Yeah, I can read some of that, yep. Um he was born in Boston, Massachusetts, and began acting in high school and participated in the two year uh, acting apprenticeship programme with the Boston Summerstock Theatre. Um, after graduating he enlisted in the army, serving for less than a year in nineteen fifty three, receiving a discharge as a private. Um, he made his film debut playing an athletics coach in the 1970 comedy Hercule, Hercules in New York, which also marked the film debut of Arnold Schwarzenegger, which I thought was very interesting. Um, his breakthrough role came in 1976 uh, Academy Award winning film All the President's Men. Um, uh, he also was in um, the 1978 drama Fist. The Academy Award nominated 1979 film thriller The China Syndrome. Um, um, and also the Only in Field, where, uh, where he was in, which he was in along with a lot of other Star Trek alumni as well. Um, Um, that same year, Heard was seen as Brigadier General Foley in the hit comedy film Private Benjamin. Um, between 75 and 82, he starred in TV series like The Streets of San Francisco with Andrew Robinson. Eight is Enough, MASH. Um, he's also had a recurring role on the primetime soap opera Dallas. He was also in obviously the first three seasons of TJ Hooker uh, of the TV series which starred William Shatner. James Darren was a regular in that series as well. Um, uh, blah, blah, blah. Oh, you Sorry, I'm just trying to gather my thoughts there looking down and mention that. Sorry. I'm, um, he made um, oh, oh, oh he's in that as well uh, he was also in Quantum Leap don't know if he if he because I mean we watched the first couple of seasons didn't we together so si. yeah um, I was say everyone's been in Quantum Leap but it's just like when and where yeah. that's the thing but I, I don't know but I think he appeared twice back. yeah we need to go back to that <laughs> it's been good. When's the last time I watched an episode of Quantum New Year? It's been, what, a couple of years at least? Something like that. Yeah. Um, so he was in that twice, was he? Looks like it. Cool. Oh, was it? Oh, that's cool. Um, he also was in... Um, so uh, so I, I, I've made life easier. I've got his uh, film, film graffiti... Film... Filmography... From his official page, so I've got a huge, huge long list of stuff. Do you want to read through some more of that thing? Because I'm, I'm kind of getting a bit lost here, so... 
So we've said Kojak in 1975. Um, the Rockford Files, same year. Um, there's lots of things. Captain of the Kings, The Street of San Francisco, The Feather of the Feather Gang, Rafferty, The Hunted Lady, Dot Scorpion, all from 77 to 78. Lots of things I've not heard of. Um, what else have we got in here? Mash, Starshin Hutch, Enodagay, The Men, The Mission, The Atomic Bomb. We've also got V, obviously, V the Final Battle, TJ Hooker, the A-Team, Knight Rider, Beauty and the Beast, the Golden Girls, Knox Landing, uh, so much. Yeah, we, we, I said we don't... Doctor Queen, Medical Woman. Can't, we can't read these all out, so we would be here forever, but he's done a few things that I, uh, yeah. I've se- seen seen or at least know about so walker texas ranger buffy the vampire slayer who does she vote because everyone's <laughs> seinfeld yep. diagnosis murder jag obviously suffolk voyager i oh, was he in diagnosis murder oh, i didn't know that oc nypd blue ghost whisperer the oc yeah the couple of rows. You see? Oh yeah. Because I used to love watching that when that was on. What part? What part did he play in that one? Do then? Uncle, I have to look that up later. Uncle Sean. And a name that I have no idea how to pronounce. Bill Shusney. I don't know. Okay. Uh, Desperate um, Housewives. CSI Miami. Which I'm surprised you haven't mentioned. CSI Miami. I didn't even. I didn't even realise. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Oh my God. So I mean, a lot of these actors. They started a lot of stuff that I've seen or heard of. It's amazing. Uh, Shameless. And I think one of his last roles was Hawaii Five O. So yeah, that is. I've gone through everything, and it's, it's like just his television roles go for like two pages, two and a quarter pages that's just television that's not counting yeah. films or uh, stage work or voice work that's, I haven't even got near that uh, movies wise what have we got here uh, planes trains and automobiles as Walt trances I'm not familiar with many of these, but... Yeah, I don't have a list of his films and theatre stuff, so... Uh, stage work, co-author of Prison of the Crown, Idle Wills as director, Death of Salesman, which I think... and the, oh, Death of Salesman and My Last Confession, I think, won the Drama Logue Award. The coach was the six insides Vern Rich and Orby Awards Duck Variations Elephant Signs Write Me a Murder Hamlet Twelfth Night Cecil B DeMille Presents a One Man Show Sue Cortez On the Waterfront Other People's Money The Walkers Lectra Harlequinade Twenty Poems E. Cummings 
And then he did a bit of voice work for Bioshock Infinity. Infinite, I mean. Elf Sparkle and the special Red Dress. Um, Fallout New Vegas, Blue Dragon and Joseph King of Dreams. So, yeah, that's just tons. Yeah. Um, yeah, again, just another actor, just another, another person that's just done an incredible amount in his life, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, should we move on to the next name? Uh, yeah. Yep. Um, so our next name is uh, Galen Gork. Um, obviously yes. actress. Well, uh, apparently the surname's pronounced George. Galen George. We'll go with that then. That's what it's um, got on Wikipedia. Okay. Um, so Galen George uh, was born on the 5th of July... 1964 passed away 14th of July this year age 55 she was an actress dancer a choreographer who appeared in two Star Trek episodes uh, she first appeared as Karina in the DS9 episode The Visitor and she also played the Alari Nori in the Voyager season 3 episode Warlord um, a costume from this episode was later sold was later worn by an unknown actress in the 7th um, season episode Union Magic Zero Part 2 and sold on it's a rap sale and auction on eBay. Um, she also had a reoccurring role as Nancy O'Reilly in three season. J- Jamie. Yeah. What would what should you have learnt by now? Whenever something's gone up for sale on it's a rap, what do I usually do? Oh, how much it sold for? Yeah, I, I've done that again. It sold for two hundred twenty-eight dollars and forty-nine cents. There you go. Thank you. Um, so she was in Twin Peaks. Um, she was also in the superhero series Mantis, um, and had guest roles. And I actually do—I vaguely recall actually seeing her in these because, again, my dad um, got me into Xena uh, uh, the Warrior Princess and Hercules: The Legendary Journeys, both made in '96. And she was also in Stargate SG One. Uh, she also starred in Fame '1984, The A Team '85. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, 1996. Crossing Jordan, 2001. CSI Miami, 2004. Lost, 2008. And Parks and Recreation, 2015. Um, did you want to read about some of the films she's been inside? Have we done a career or a personal life or anything? Uh, not yet, no. Are we going to? Of course, yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, I'm just reading how it goes in the memory alpha notes. Um, she starred in films like Strangers in Paradise, 1984, um, the, the, the Malibu Bikini Shop, 1986, Music Drama Dance Academy, 88, Robocop 2, 1990, Point Break, 1991, Storyville, 92, Earth Spirit, 2006, um, uh, the Tequa Ikachi Aboriginal Wall in 2008 and the music comedy Hollywood Love 2011. Um, did you want to do about a personal life and career then? Did you say her um, born and, and. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she died. I didn't say she died from cancer. This, this is actually very sad, actually. She died from cancer the day before her 56th birthday. Of a uh, stage four lung cancer. Yeah, because I think you mentioned you, that's something you pointed out to me. She just... was diagnosed with it a week before 
after it was all found all over her body and lungs, which is unfortunate. Um, died at the age of 55, which is not, which is a shame. Um, she was born in LA to an actress, model, mother, and a documentary filmmaker father. She was raised in Hawaii and majored in liberal arts at Santa Monica City College. Um, her career began with dancing, training in the styles of jazz, ballet, Haitian, Afro samba, Afro Cuban, West African hip hop, Pula, and funk. She trained with the Roland Dupree Dance Academy and Alvin Ellie Summer Program. Um, worked with some choreographers I've not heard of. She studied acting with, among other groups, Improv for the People, The Groundlings, and the Pacific Resident Theatre. Uh, do you want to read the next bit? Yep, Gorks, uh, Gord, um, Gorges uh, work in film, TV, music video and live theatrical performances have spanned a multitude of countries including Middle East, Italy, Mexico, New Zealand, Canada, as well as other parts of the world. Um, she stars a live interest dancer in the iconic ZZ Top ZZ Top music video Sharp Dressed Man and achieved fame in Italy. <laughs> As a dance star of two separate variety series on Italian television, we've been doing, we've been going on recording for almost four hours now. It's not really surprising I'm losing me edge a bit, <laughs> or losing Fantastico. me. Fantastico, huh? Fantastico. Yeah, <laughs> on Italian television. Um, Fantastico. Said, Fantastico. Sandro um, Armando Shaw on Channel Five. Is that meant to be an Italian accent? You try in English, it doesn't sound right. No, I'm, a, I'm not even going to go there. Um, Fantastic, Harry, <laughs> it just... She also appeared as a professional dancer who learned in different schools and performed all over the world. So, yeah, a life that unfortunately got cut, unfortunately, a little short. But she, again, in her time, she did an impressive amount of stuff, didn't she? Yeah, that's whole entire page and it just goes on mm. 18 um Twin Peaks uh sorry sorry I, I already said that uh, not all of them I, I, well those first two I did <laughs> Fresh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air said that yeah Lost are you are you reading from the memory alpha notes? Wikipedia. Oh, okay. Uh, lots of things I haven't heard of. I could do them, um, but yeah, it's just like, you've done the most famous, but there's lots. She has been very, very busy. Very, and who knows, very I mean, busy. Who knows? I mean, if she, if she hadn't said so, died at it's only fifty-five. She probably would have done quite a lot more as well but even considering it's just yeah it's just it's amazing just the amount of stuff that, that they've done and I, I think that's partly why we like doing this as well because you get we get to know the, these people a lot more didn't we you know and not just about what else they've done apart from Star Trek but about their passions and you know whether it's her being a dancer or Renee Abel-Jonois being a photographer or a gourmet cook or, it's just yeah it just really just shines a light just on them as a whole, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, should we 
Should we go on to our next person? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, right. So I've got, a, I've got a bit mixed up with my notes. A bit. Bear with me. Um, the next person is um, Frank Bowl. Uh, Bowl. Yeah. yeah, that's what yeah. I always thought. Yeah, he's a comic book illustrator. Um, did you want to start us, us off reading this, Si? Um, yeah, I don't know what source where you want to read it from. I don't want to see my words. Well, there's a couple here because obviously got Memory Alpha. There's. Um... I'm drawn towards uh, Wikipedia. I think there's more there. We'll, we'll, we'll go with that then. Much more thorough. Yeah. Um, born June 23rd, 1924, and passed away May 20, uh, 12th, 2020, at the age of 95, which is incredible. Was an American comic strip artist, comic book artist, and illustrator, best known as a long time artist of the newspaper strips Winnie Winkle and the Heart of Juliet Jones. Stints of the comic books Tin Hole and Dr. Solar. Solar? Man yeah, of Action. Right, yeah. And as an illustrator for the Boy Scouts of America magazine, Boy's Life, for 18 years. And with an unknown writer, which I think is really strange, he co created the Old West comic book heroine, The Black Phantom. Um, he also used pseudonyms and pen names WFB. And at least once, F.L. Blake. Um, do you want to read the early life? Yeah. There's, um, not, he was right, bo- there's not too much there, but it's interesting. He was, born, he was born in Italy and immigrated to the U.S. at age five. Joined his mother in Brooklyn, NY, New York. Um, although Bowl in adulthood said he was born in Brooklyn. He grew up in that borough with mother Mary and stepfather Egidio Ege, Ege Louis Kovacic. Um, Bo attended Manhattan's high school music and art, though one standard reference source attributing his information to Bo via an intermediary listed school of industrial arts high school. From 1943 to 46, he served in the US uh, Army Air Force, and after his return from World War II, attended Pratt Institute on the GI Bill, graduating in three years. Um, he broke into comics in 1943, Drawing backgrounds for Funnies Inc., one of a handful of packages that supplied content to publishers entering the fledging medium of comic books. Um, his first, did you, did you, you mentioned his first comic, his nine credits? I did some of them, I think. Um, he's known pencil and ink in Terry, two Terry Vance detective features for Timely Comics, the precursor of Marvel Comics. In the Marvel Mystery Comics, um, cover 47 to 48 dated September to October 1943 I thought this bit was quite interesting he served in World War II obviously and it's unclear if the small number of bold stories that appear in comics from US camera rural home and green publishing from 1946 were done during the war or inventory from before his service um let's see he, he himself, in an undated interview conducted no earlier in 1992, did not mention his pre-war work when asked about the first comic book you worked on. Um, he said, the first job I got, I had, I had some samples. I did for a little tiny alley called Crown Comics, sick title of ser- series published by McCombs, Maco- Maco- where I wrote some stories and I started out by doing a filler. 
they had a 48 pager but they had space in the back so they needed a one page story I said if you need it Monday I'll bring it in Monday and I wrote a cute little story and printed it on the back and that was my first sample those were the first books I worked on when I got out of the service after World War 2 I was 21 or 22 um, you mentioned about the unknown writer thing um, he also did for DC Comics he drew the cyborg superhero feature Robot Man in Detective Comics um, from 1955 to 7 he also did Robin Hood stories um, drew Robin Hood stories and Hood and their subsequent TV show The Adventures of Robin Hood um, he also wrote books starring Lassie and the Lone Ranger he also drew for the Choose Your Own Adventure Children book series as well um, from 1957 to 61, he began his long career in newspaper comic strips, starting as an art assistant, drawing backgrounds on the Chicago Trib- Tribune, New York News Syndicate's Daily and Sunday on Stage from 57 to 61. Um, did you want to take over, Cyber, the next bit? He really came to his own in the 1960s. He briefly had overlapped his own yeah. Sunday comic strip, the McNulty Syndicate's Children's Sales. Um, which he wrote and drew from 1960 to 1969, um, where he drew classes like Cinderella and Rumpel um, which he did over three weeks, three Sundays. And in between, that he'd write original stories, so he wrote 12 to 15 original stories that then I would switch back and forth from the classic to originals. The same syndicate he drew. The a daily and Sunday strip, Debbie Deer, Deer. Um, sounds right. Yeah, Debbie Deer. Yeah, sounds right. And he did that for about four years, from '66 to '69, for a Chicago tribute, New York News Syndicate. He wrote and drew the strip, Quick Quiz, from '64 to '65. By this time, he was also just racing for magazines, beginning with Men's Adventure title Stag from. 61-62 Keeping a hand in comic books Bold drew superhero stories Dr. Solar Man of the Atom from issues 6 to 19 For Western Publishing Gold Comics imprint he did a small amount of work for DC Comics Devil Comics and Terror Comics Somewhere in here he does do, because you're probably going, well, where, what is there, is the relation to Star Trek? <laughs> I'll just um, that. Um. He did the a gold key comics for the issues of 16th the Empire Man, and from February 1979 to, and the next issue, uh, Operation Con Game. From March 1979, he so he did those. That's where he comes in. So I don't yeah. think we even got to, but that's where it is. It, it, he does actually have one. We just have to kind of get there. Uh, what did I say? Oh yes, he obviously did the Boys Life um, magazine for the Boys Scouts of America through 1981. He drew different times. Bible stories, Green Bar, Bill. Pedro Patrol, Pee Wee Harris, Paul of Fire, Scouts in America, Space Adventures, Tracy Twins, and White Mountains. He did other art as well as for magazines from 77 to 
84, and from 65 to 75, Bowe drew covers for non-fiction paper books, including Baton Twirling, uh, Invitations to Skin and Scuba Diving, Scuba, Sphere and Snookle, Soccer and Boxing, just because just he could. Do you want to do 1970s to 2000s? Because that was uh, wordy. Not that yeah, you I'm, haven't I'm, got wordy, but... I'm not going to read all of this. Because <laughs> we said uh, we'll be here forever otherwise. Um, that's where, again, this is where it works into um, Star Trek, though. This is where, again, it's yeah. where did interesting things. Um, two stories he pets from inked. I'm on the he inked. Um, Over the pants and the rust. Jones, which I think pen- that's from what I can work out, that's the penciler doing it, and then he cover like coloured it in. In case you're oh, wondering, because okay. that took um, me a bit of time to work out what that actually meant. Um, from the paperback anthology Christopher Lee's Treasure, Treasury of Terror, um, Pyramid Books '66 was reprinted in three '96 issues of Warren Public. Warren Publications Black and White Horror Magazine Horror Comics Magazine Eerie um, He drew new stories and um, inked roughly a dozen stories for Marvel Comics including issues of The Avengers The Defenders Submarine and Marvel Premier Marvel Team Up uh, Throughout the 70s he continues to do work for long-time clients Dell Comics and Gold Key Comics in Flash Gordon Ripley's Believe It or Not The Twilight Zone I would have actually um, have read the one that you missed, Jamie. I would also have said the sister publication, because Vampirina is actually quite famous in America. Which bit? Which bit's that? Yeah, um, he went to join his stories published in the magazine and his sister publication, Vampirella, in 1970 and 71. That's fair. It's just a very big, famous thing over in America, so I think it's kind of do as you I wasn't aware of that, but I'm glad you pointed that I, out, so thank you. I, I believe it is. I think this is one of those, um, yeah, under, of its time. Under his FWB pseudonym, he also contributed to Titan Comics. Um, I'll do this bit. I'll do this paragraph, Jeremy. His comic strip work in the 1970s, including drawing <laughs> the you. Daily and Sunday Alex, uh, Alexander Gates. I think that's between 1970 and 71. Uh, for Universal Press Syndicate, he drew the a trip bestseller showcase daily, and it's Sunday from seventy seven to seventy eight, which included Raise the Titanic. Oh. Um, for the same syndicate, he drew Encyclopedia Brown for daily and Sunday from seventy eight to seventy uh, eight to eighty. Uh, he was the uncredited ghost artist on the daily. Rick Kirby for King Features Syndicate from 77 to 1994 and for one month in 82. The Sunday Tarzan for United Features Syndicate again. Um, I'm not going to pay any attention to that undated interview because I never got the point of it. Our Bowles last uh, mainstream penciling and inking for comic books is the cover of Gold Key's comic Shroud of Mystery from 1982. He later drew a page for the one page one shot benefit comic strip Age USA um, in nineteen ninety eight, which I thought was interesting. From Last Grass. So I don't know where that's from relation to. He returned to ink the last thirty one pages of the forty two page story Captain Marvel's Volume Two 
issue one from November 1989 over pencil mark bright which I thought was interesting and kind of very us yeah uh, I'll to read the next bit if you would yeah. it's, it's very technical it's, he did this thing for that thing under that yeah. pencil it's in the 80s and 90s, Bold drew a letter to Sunday Daily Trib- Tri- um, Tribune um, Media Services strip Winnie Winkle, either from 1982 or 96, or as he said, for 20 years. Before those same functions on King Features, The Heart of Julie Jones from 1890 to 2000, either for. I'm not going to read that next bit. <laughs> I'll say he did it then, because it says either for this or that, and it's just like. <laughs> um, he lettered Tribune's venerable Annie Daly and Sunday strips in the 1980s through 1999, uh, contributing as well as a small amount of art as a ghost artist. Um, finally, he did ghost art on Tribune Media's Guildford in 95, 96, and 2008. Uh, credited, he drew the Daily and Sunday North American Syndicate strip apartment for in 99. He continued with the strip for its finale in November 2015, by which Bowl was 91. From 96, through to at least 2009, bolded pet illustrations for the Westport Pet Company as well as commissioned pet portraits, including one that was scheduled to appear in the Walt Disney Pictures movie um, Old Dogs. He illustrated a 2008 children's book, My Cat Maribel, by Angelica Joy. So that is 2004, he was a a guest and panellist at Comic-Con International San Diego. Um, He was one of the 10 recipients of the 2003 Inca Pot Award. Um, and as an adult, he lived in Western Connecticut with his wife Laurie. He had two children, uh, daughter Laura and son Frank. Bowl died, as you said, May twentieth, um, May twelfth, two thousand twenty, age of ninety-five, and was interred at the Willow Willowbrook Cemetery in Westport, Connecticut. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Just. That was, a, that was quite a technical bit, wasn't it? That was quite a technical name, technical bit of information there, wasn't it? But and again, I think we're no, usually, because we've done this for a number of years now, there are quite a few, because I was looking at the list a few days that I was saying, Jamie, um, for oddly next year's one, there's an awful lot of comic book artists on there, but they never have a lot on them, which is, I think, why we never do them that often, because there's so much no. about them that you really have to dig for them. I mean, there is a couple of other sources, but there's not really much there, and I think the Wikipedia notes kind of cover pretty much all of it, doesn't it, really? Yeah, which is why I suggested it to you. just thought that was uh, yeah. most um, of, use, of use. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just incredible just how much he was able to do. But 95, that's that's doing good. That's doing well. Oh, definitely. Uh, um, I'm so glad he also won an award as well. I'm so glad that, because he seemed like he'd done his time. Yeah, and I think uh, as an artist, whatever you're doing, it's it's for however long, it's always good to be recognised. And I think he had to wait works. for it, because I think it was in his 70s when he got it. Mm. I think, wasn't he? Yeah. Died at 95 and he got it in 2003, so he must have been like 72, I think. Something like that, yeah. So, yeah, it's an interesting choice, but y- yes, he, he does have a Star Trek link. He re- it does, it's just a very small, minute one, but it's yeah, there. Yeah, it is in yeah. there. So, 
So yeah, um, it's, it's an interesting. I thought that was an interesting choice, Jamie. As you said, going through the names, it wasn't easy because obviously, yeah, we tried go by the criteria of you know three men or however many we're doing, but equal amount of man and female, and then obviously production and actor and actress, and then you chuck in kind of other elements as well, like an anniversary or something like that. It's, it's very interesting. Um, our final person um, is um, which just a very, very interesting one. And just as soon Unfortunately, as there's not much on her, which is no. a bit sad. No. Um, but it's Cheryl Wheeler-Duncan, stunt woman. Um, Cheryl Maria Wheeler-Duncan, born 18th of August 1960 and died 12th of February 2020, age 59, was a stunt woman and martial artist who worked as a stunt double for Denise Crosby on the TNG episode Code of Honour. Um, she was married to fellow stuntman and martial artist Shane Dixon until his death in 1999. During this time, she was also known as Sherry Wheeler Dixon. Um, she uh, started to train uh, Yo. Yo, Yoshikai Karate at the age of 15 at Jerry Blanc, Blanc's Martial Arts Centre and continued with kickboxing, judo, Aikido and grappling. Today she is holding a second degree black belt in Yoshikai Karate and is a three-time WKA World Kickboxing Champion. Um, she mentions her hardest kickboxing match being the one against Star Trek actress Lucia Ridgeka in Holland in 1987. Darlene Vogel, Goldie Hawn, Jenna Elfman, Cameron Diaz, Kelly Preston, Nicole Kidman, Daryl Hannah, Ellie Barkin, Bridget Fonda, Natasha Henstry, Sandra Bullock, Shelley Long, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Ben Russo. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of, I think, some probably names you probably recognise as well, isn't there? Um, that's just amazing. Um, she was married between 1999 and 2009 to Robert. Lindsay Duncan, with whom she owned Genesis Today Inc., a, nu- a nutritional supp- supplement company in Austin, Texas, and with whom she had two children. She also worked as a stunt gymnastics teacher at the stunt branch. Following her divorce from Duncan, she married fitness trainer Robert Reed Sanders. Now, this is the really, really tragic thing. Uh, the couple was killed in a shootout at her ex husband's house in Yellow Springs, Ohio, on the 12th of February 2020. Um, that was kind of one of the things that was called me out, just very tragic how it kind of, how, how her life just came to an end really um, did you want to read out some of her TV work Si? Yeah yep. um, she filmed stunts on Matlock The Fall Guys, Knight Rider Hunter, TJ Hooker uh, Hard Time on Planet Earth Further Downing Scarecrow and Miss King she says a stunt double for um, Mariel Hemingway on yep, Civil so, Wars yep. and for Shannon Tweed and Sean Weatherly on Baywatch. In the nineties she doubled for Christine how did you say that? Uh Christine 
Letty, say Christine Letty. In Chicago Hope, Andrea Parker in Pretender and Form Stunts in episodes of Man and Machine, Veronica, Veronica's Closet and Dark Skies. Um, she also did 18 Wheels of Justice as doubled for Teresa Russell in Nash Bridges, for Jenna Elfman in The Harm and Greg, uh, for Christina Miller in The Drew Carey Show, for Jennifer Gardner in JJ Abrams uh, Alias, I mean, and for Laurie. No, Laurie. 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 I'm struggling. Laurie Lowling. In Birds of Prey. Um, 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 uh, she performed stunts in GCB, Lion Game. Uh, and stunt double for Elizabeth Mitchell on series Re- Revolution. Yeah. Uh, film credits, Jamie. Do you want me to read this bit? Yeah. Yes. Um, so she started her stuff of the yeah. Her first films was the action comedy Fatal Beauty, 1987, with Whoopi Goldberg. Um, in which she doubled Jennifer Warren and worked with Goldberg stunt double Kim Washington as a double for Janet Jones and in. Police Academy 5, which was obviously with Renee Bourgeois, which is quite interesting. Um, the crime comedy Sunset in 88, along with the sci-fi film They Live. Um, this was this was interesting. Uh, in 1989, uh, uh, Wheeler Duncan got hurt on set while filming a glass dive stunt for actress Darlene Vogel. She shattered her face, jaw and her right wrist to the point where she lost almost 40% of her wrist cartilage. The following year, she had several surgeries um, and her face was rebuilt, um, but, but she had to end her professional kickboxing career. Not long after her accident, Willa Duncan returned to the stunt business and started to work as personal stunt double for actress Ren Russo on the action film Lethal Weapon 2, 1989, uh, and the further two sequels, Lethal Weapon 3, 92 and the fourth in 98 the thriller ransom 96 the crime drama series the crime drama sorry the thomas crown affair 1999 fantasy film the adventures of at rocky and baldwin 2000 and the action show comedy show time 2002 so some of the stuff she's done there i think you know that i've watched i love lethal weapons so the fact she's worked on stuff that i know of is just really really interesting and cool um, I've seen Ransom, that's a great film. Even the, Did you see the Thomas Crown Affair, Si? Yeah, yeah, of course I have. Yeah, did you like that? Yeah, it's got Pierce Morgan in it. Uh, Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> Pierce Morgan, yeah. Love to see you in that. Yeah, Pierce Brosnan, yeah. Um, other products include um, Stunt Doubling Kelly Preston action film uh, Run 91, Nicole Kidman uh, on the Quarantine Billy Bathgate. I'll just read it, I'll only read a few of these because there's a lot here. Um, Sharon Stone on the Thriller Silver, 93. Sandra Bullock on Demolition Man, 93. Uh, Bridget Fonda, Point of No Return in the same year. Um, she also performed stunts in the fantasy film The Mask, 94, as a double for Penelope and Miller on the fantasy film The Relic. Uma Thurman on Batman and Robin. And again for Bridget Fonda in The Breakup, 98. Um, do you want to read the next bits? No, you, you go ahead. You go ahead, okay. Uh, in 
2000, she doubled actresses Cameron Diaz and Kelly Preston on uh, action comedy Charlie's Angels, for which she received a, uh, a Taurus World Stunt Award for Best Stunt Sequence. Um, she doubled Natasha Hendridge on the sci-fi horror film Ghost of Mars 2001. Connie Nielsen on the drama Gladiator 2000. Performed stunts in Spider-Man, again another film I didn't know she'd done stunts on, which is pretty cool. 2002, Ocean's Eleven 2001. Uh, and doubled Connie Nielsen again on the crime drama Basic 2003. She worked as a stunt double on the horror remake Friday the 13th 2009. Uh, Josie Davis on The Ascent 2010 uh, Jessica Alba's fights in Spy Kids 4 all the time in the world 2011 in the comic book adaptation 4 2011 um, there's there's a couple of others there but those are yeah she's done awful lot there's an awful lot that she's done Um, I say she's another one of those unsung heroes yeah, she's done a lot of. I mean, just a very varied and interesting um, career, and just a lot of stuff that I've seen. A lot of stuff that I've seen, like Lethal Weapon, Thomas Crown Affair, uh, Four, all those kind of things. Stunts she's done, all ransom, and just brilliant. Um, I did print off a bit of extra information about her tragic circumstances. That it does go into more depth, but. Uh, I don't think it's necessary to read it out. It's kind of it's quite it's quite tragic, and um, I don't think there's any need to really read it out. So I think I'll um, I'll I'll leave that. But um, yeah, it just yeah, just overall, just I think just incredible diverse people this year. Just the amount of stuff that they've done, and yeah, just just, just so much that they've done in their time, and it's just. Yeah, it's just always nice every year. I know, I know, we say this every year, we say broken records, but it is, it is really lovely. It's, it's, it's said, it is strange going through because these people have passed, but it's nice to shine a light on all these people, whether they're really well known or they're not as well. Known. It's just a nice thing to do, and um, yeah, just the, the I said, the names that they were picked out, just some, they just really stood out to me. And I thought, just yeah, I just thought. I've, I've got to, to got to do it, and obviously every year we always have the name nation of. Because actually, I picked out these names. I think it was what, a couple of months beforehand, wasn't it? Yeah. Like I'd done it, but obviously we always normally wait in case because we don't know who else is going to pass away. But um, I didn't need to change it, so just um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, is there anything else you want to say about about her or any about any of the others? No, just our usual thing. Go and check them out. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, say lots take in another interesting episode with just some very amazing people. Just again, tip of the iceberg. Just well worth yeah. looking through because you'd never quite know who you're going to find. Yeah, I think we'll have to look up at some point how many names we've done overall, and and uh, yeah, I think that'll be interesting to find out. But, oh, pardon me, God. Oh, oh pardon me. Um, as you say, just it's just nice to just do that every year. Just there's so many names there. We've I said we've not even. <laughs> I mean, how many names are there? Probably what, oh, thousands of names. Yeah. 
at least and said we've only touched on five percent of that probably so yeah just anyway i hope you enjoyed um listening guys and said yeah if you want to find out more also do check these these, these amazing people these, these names out because said it's it's nice for them to be acknowledged and you know and obviously they are doing their life you know through various awards and all that kind of stuff but it's just it's just nice to do this every year where we can you know just give them a bit more recognition I think isn't it yeah right. so uh, yeah we hope uh, was there anything else you wanted to say so have we got any any, any uh, podcast news or anything or anything like that not that springs to mind <laughs> no okay uh, so yeah we hope you enjoyed listening guys um, yeah, and we'll be back for a couple more episodes, and that will be it for another year. Yeah. So um, yeah, do keep do keep safe during these times, uh, everyone, and yeah, hopefully we'll hopefully be out of lockdown soon. Hopefully get to some resemblance of normality. Um, but uh, yeah, till then, uh, we'll be back again soon. Talk to you later. Bye.